Welcome to Academy Securities Geopolitical Flashpoints call. My name is Rachel Washburn and I'll be moderating this discussion. Academy Securities provides periodic presentations by our geopolitical intelligence group, which is comprised of 10 retired admirals and generals, focusing on current geopolitical events that are expected to have near-term market impact. Today we are joined by General Spider Marks, who is a senior intelligence officer on the Korean Peninsula, General Mastin Robeson, former commander of U.S. Marine Corps Forces Special Operations Command, and Peter Chur, who is Academy Security's head of MAX Strategy. If you have any questions about today's discussion, please email info at academysecurities.com. How do you view Turkey as a Western ally? Uh, do you see us cooperating with Erdogan as he changes the, the dynamic in this country, and do you think Turkey is going to leave NATO? I, I, I do not think Turkey will leave NATO. I do think that Turkey is, it, from where I sit, is acting very similar to where they've acted for decades. Uh, I mean, this is not a whole lot different than Turkey refusing um, the the northern access invasion lane to the coalition when we went into Iraq in 2003. They've always had a very independent streak about who they are and what they do. Um, they're not your typical NATO country that we see in, in Western Europe. Um, and, and as a result, it gets them in... Um, in trouble at times in, in regard to their their relationships. But I think we, the U.S. and Europe, see uh, the, the the necessity to keep NATO to, uh, together and to keep Turkey in NATO. Um, but I think it will continue to have these same points of friction. I think the economic issues they're going through, uh, which are also economic issues NATO is going through, uh, will you know could could easily get worse before they get better, um, but I'm heartened by the fact that you know they at least are are, are holding elections and holding discussions, um, you know at the present at the present moment. You know I I have to jump on um, and follow up on on uh, Master's comments here. Um, I, I have a, a bit of a different take on. Turkey and its um, membership in NATO, absolutely and 100% concur that Turkey has always acted, as do all nations, in its own self-interest. Um, when you join a coalition of partners, you have to be able to match your self-interest with the members' self-interest. And if you can't do that, then you've got an obligation to disappear. So, you know, Turkey clearly is a land of coups. Every 10 years, they have a coup. Um, and that's all part of their – it's part of their DNA. Um, they also have played both sides against the middle. Look, they are at a key strategic point geographically that has not been missed on either past competitions between the Soviet Union and the United States and current competitions between the European Union, the United States, its membership in NATO, um, a recidivist, what I call czarist Russia that we see in, in a new empire trying to grow up on the, on the, you know, on the heels of a failed communism, and then clearly with the unsettling of, and the challenge of borders, the advance of radicalism, the advance of terrorism in the Mideast, Turkey is in an incredibly important position, and they know it, and it works to their great advantage. What, what's troubling to me is that Turkey, at a very, on a very tactical level, has now entered into agreements 
um, that put them at direct odds with other NATO partners, uh, primarily the United States. I'm concerned about Turkish forces in Syria and U.S. forces in Syria uh, getting into a gunfight. We all understand the nature of combat being absolutely unpredictable. Uh, the largest killer in combat is fratricide, and I could see where partners, NATO partners, could get into a gunfight and start killing each other's participants. That's absolutely uh, untenable in a coalition uh, when the intent is to try to do damage to the other side. Um, we, we, we see Turkey entering into agreements with Russia to buy military equipment. Um, sadly, military equipment, which is air defense capabilities, um, that, that is a very, very threatening um, challenge that, that I can see anytime you put a U.S. soldier in an airplane. Now, he could be at risk over airspace that was previously friendly airspace. Um, economically, uh, Turkey has, has always um, had challenges and, and being a part of the broader economic uh, body of the EU in many cases just didn't fit their, fit their models. Again, so their incentives. And so if you were to take the discussion of the EU being challenged and, you know, whether the European Union um, individual nations withdrawing from the EU, not unlike Brexit. What are the next examples? When, when, will the, when will the next departure take place? You see this notion of progressivism and nationalism taking hold, and Turkey lives it out every day, yet they have an advantage of being where they are geographically that makes it easier for them to do it than it does, let's say, a Hungary or a uh, um, any, any, you know, a, a Hungary, a Czech Republic, um, any of the members of the EU who might find an advantage to, quote, going it alone like Britain intends to go it alone. I am, I am less optimistic that Turkey is going to remain a member of NATO. Um, I, I, I hope I'm dead wrong on that, but I could see that as a possibility even as early before the end of this year. Rachel, back to you. Peter, do you have any thoughts on the current economic issues Turkey is facing with the devaluation of lira? Yeah, I think there are a couple concerns. Is One is, is Turkey a backdoor that helps Russia, for example, avoid sanctions? Do they help other countries? Do we see Iranian oil flow through Turkey? You know, how legitimate are they, and are they doing, you know, a list of things behind the scenes that kind of are to the detriment of some of our other actions or activities that we'd like to take in the region, whether it's Syria, Iran, or Russia. That's a question I pass back to the generals. Yeah, when I look at when I look at Turkey, you know, the um, the mess that Syria, the the definition of a mess is Syria today. Um, it it really you, you see the confluence of a whole bunch of of interests that are. And they are interests, but they don't necessarily all agree at multiple levels um, for the same outcome, the same objectives. I mean, that, that's kind of the nature of, of international and even personal level interests. You know, I can, I can agree on one topic and disagree on another topic and still have a relationship with that either individual or entity. Uh, Syria concerns me greatly because you see Russia's influence is significant. Turkey's influence is significant because they have a real stake in the game. Um, the United States influence is is significant 
and it needs to remain significant. It needs to remain a definition of, you know, the U.S. presence needs to meet the requirements or at least the definitions of an existential threat. Syria, and because of the confluence of Russia, Turkey, the Kurds, um, an atrophying and struggling ISIS that will morph into something else, terrorism is not going to go away, the United States, Jordan, Iran, Iraq in the region, Saudi Arabia, and that just is a, it's just a magnifying challenge that we see taking place in Syria, and all of those regional players have a stake in the outcome. That is a challenge that makes, makes it absolutely imperative that the United States, as it reasserts itself globally, does not abandon that challenge and, quote, turn it over to somebody else. We have an existential reason for our presence, and we need to make sure our interests are being met in that part of the world, and we can't do it through surrogates. So I totally agree uh, with with that perspective. Um, I, I guess I, <clears throat> I I see it it not being that much different, except that we're involved kinetically, um, and Turkey's involved kinetically, and Russia's involved kinetically. But the 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 Russian Iranian Syrian Lebanese Hezbollah partnership you know, goes back decades. And the only reason Assad is still in, in power is because of the, the support and funding that he's gotten to keep him in power. And his father, you know, uh, began the, the fringes of that. But I, I totally agree that the, the, the ISIS and the Kurd presence uh, in Syria is exacerbating um, our ability to find... Um, mutually agreeable, you know, relationships and partnerships moving forward. Um, and, and I'd absolutely agree that, that we, we cannot walk away from Syria, that uh, walking away from Syria, it would be just as destructive as uh, what happened when we walked away from Iraq, um, you know, and, and now, you know, we, all we've done is unhinged what we built. So to me, it sounds like the bottom line, and that region is still that we should expect more noise. We may not get a large escalation, but we're probably not going to see a solution anytime, which will continue to have impacts on, you know, most particularly, the energy market. Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, Spider, do you? Oh, I do. Oh, I, ab- absolutely. We're, you know, we've, we've, got, we've got a presence. I think we've learned the lesson of the past that, you know, once we've, you know, we, I, I don't necessarily agree that if we've, um, if we've established our presence because of a challenge to our national security or national interests, that we necessarily have to then be a part of the total fix that must be put in place in order to um, completely eliminate that from occurring, that incident from occurring again, or that impetus from occurring again. In other words, as General Powell taught us, you know, if you if you break it, you, you fix it, or you bought it. And that's not necessarily so. If you if you break it, you, you may put a fix in place, and then you may be in a position to ensure that, at least on a temporary basis, you've achieved some success in that regard. But 
the long-term solution belongs to the locals to make sure um, that they all can agree on what the, the going forward position needs to look like. That's why the United States needs to have a continual strategy of access around the globe and not necessarily physical presence that allows us to then morph and adjust and change our presence based on the demands and the requirements on the ground because we're not necessarily always going to be able to fix a problem on the ground that's going to be lasting because of the our inability to see what the underlying currents might look like that would alter that the outcome so the united states has to have a has to have um access if not presence and and or i would say a presence of some sort which really goes back to the primacy of our ability to have diplomatic solutions which means we always need to have the ability to gain access um almost at um, at a very very quick and unpredictable pace, and we've not not ever really done that well enough, because as we all know, the first diplomat when there's a challenge is the soldier or the marine on the ground, and um, that I, I don't know how we move forward in the future where that's going to be altered, but we sure can modify it in some way uh, by having an empowered and very strong and very relevant diplomatic core, and all forms of diplomacy um, rest on information and economics, and then again, military as necessary. So I, I totally agree, and, and I think that's what makes this particular piece that we're talking about right now um, somewhat unique, because it's sort of all potentially come together, um, and there are some connecting lines between them. Um, the, the, you know, the economic issues in Europe and NATO are, are going to be deeply impacted on the flow of refugees uh, and the expense of flow of refugees. Uh, Syria is going to, just like Libya, are going to both uh, potentially contribute to that, uh, which will threaten the economic security of Europe, just like it did in, uh, in Kosovo Day. Um, and, and I think also that you you have to find not the ability to own it um, by any means, but if we get some things right, you have the potential for leveraging other things. A example, if we get Iraq right, um, <clears throat> given the 39 million Iranians, uh, half of which pilgrim into Iraq uh, every year, for three of the four, uh, you know, most highly pilgrimed sites in Samar and Najaf and Karbala, and Iraq is a thriving industrial, you know, world that has uh, some means of, you know, e election and so forth. Uh, that's a powerful image for, uh, you know, 15 to to 18 million Iranians to see year after year, given the great Satan was involved in uh, facilitating that, in theory, if we get it right. Um, so I think there's some opportunities here from a security standpoint that, one, we have to be involved in to stem the flow of refugees, uh, and two, if we can leave it in a better position then we found it, then we have the opportunity 
to potentially leverage uh, other flashpoints that might be an indirect way of influencing. Yeah, I think that's a great point on refugees, and I think it's something that Europe really has to start addressing more seriously, maybe in conjunction with us. First, Brexit, that was a big part of it, and clearly what we're seeing going on in Italy and the change of government to the populist movement, there's a lot of moving parts to that, but one of it is that Italy is one of the first points of landing for a lot of the refugees, and it's become a real issue there that may not be affecting Germany the same way. And as you, think, as, as you have pointed out in the past, General, the history of immigration and causing problems is potentially real, and this is something that Europe has to start facing. And I think separate from the issues that are already facing Europe and the one currency and whether the current budgeting fits each country very well, this longer-term issue of immigration and how it's going to be dealt with is important, and it feels like you know this is the center point and that we have a role to play as a country as well in this. Yeah, you know, and my biggest concern about the growth of nationalism is you end up isolating. You choose to isolate yourself from others, um, which means you choose to lose influence at the source of many of the challenges. Uh, let's be frank, you know, the, the largest export from Syria is its people um, it, because it, it, it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't they try to leave? Yet there is a desire and the, the human heart wants to return home. So there is a desire that if things could go right in any part of the world where there's this uh, incredible challenges, you might be able to stem the tide of the, of, of the source of some of the largest challenges that we see right now. Because nationalism is a reaction to a loss of cultural identity, the loss of the definition of your border, the loss of the definition of your national language, the loss of your national heritage. And that frightens and concerns um, not only the individual, but it frightens and concerns the nations. Um, and if you can get to the source of the challenge, if you can, if you can fix problems at their source, then you're going to have an ability to, to arrest the, you know, to, to, stop the, to stop the problem at its source, not to simply turn your back on the problem when it's at your door. That's the start of problems. And we've seen, you know, history is replete with the challenges that occur um, as a result of that type of a policy. What we see right now, however, is we're in the midst of, we're in the midst of a, a very large international global pressure that is not going to be addressed through enhanced nationalism. That's the concern, yet that's the answer that's being addressed. That's the solution of first result that we see in many nations, and that's a problem long-term. The U.S. can't engage in a way that allows security to be increased so that economics and finance can follow, um, we're, we're gonna end up just as a default being isolated. That puts us in a horrible, horrible position and we know what happens when that route starts to take place and starts to grow. General Robinson and Peter, uh, what are your thoughts on how geopolitical instability and the political environment of Colombia Venezuela and Argentina have influenced their economic stability that we're seeing right now? I think that, that Venezuela is, is going through what is typical of a country that comes out of a long dictatorship and then uh, it, that has uh, isolated itself and 
has ostracized a lot of the rest of the free world in, in, in a deliberate attempt. And they're now trying to find, you know, a new path that that isn't predicated on uh, bullying their way in and defying, being defiant about, you know, who and what they are. And so the post-Chavez is going to be, um, you know, turbulent and a little bit messy, as is typically the case for uh, like scenarios. I think that the question will be, can they – can they find a balance where, you know, the people actually have more of a, a perspective? I think the fact that there, there, there are some things that are positive about where they are in, in regard to post-dictatorship, um, but it's far from being a good position for them. I, I would be hopeful that it would be, it, it would be hard for them to be any worse of an isolation situation than they were under Chavez. And therefore, historically speaking, when you're no longer uh, isolating yourself, um, there's at least the potential. This concludes Academy Security's geopolitical flashpoints discussion. If you have any follow-on questions on the topics that were discussed today or any broader geopolitical or macroeconomic concerns, please email info at academysecurities.com. We'll help connect you with an advisory board member that best, is best suited to address your questions. Thank you, General Mark, General Robinson, and Peter Chur for their unique insights and perspectives shared today. Thanks again, everyone. Thank you, you, Ray Masson, and Peter. Thanks very much for your comments, guys. Look forward to following up on this. So thanks, Peter, and uh, General Marks' leadership in this, and uh, for Academy Security caring enough to want to get this message out to uh, be useful to clients uh, and to U.S. businesses.